we don't do that, that might go on for a really, really long time. Good morning, everybody at home. Thanks for joining us online. Um, we have a faithful person who I'm going to recognize online. Lisa Coleman, who used to be a, a member at this church, has moved to Florida, and she tunes in weekly. I mean, she is always there. So, Lisa, enjoy warm, warm Florida. It is actually getting warm here as well. Uh, but um, we're glad you guys online are there. But uh, sometimes we got to recognize people who are faithful, and that's her. Thank you for being here. As uh, Taylor said, my name is Jeremy. I'm the youth director here at RLC. I've been doing that for an awful long time with my wife and great teammates. But uh, I would like to start off this morning by thanking everybody who makes this kind of stuff possible. You know, there are a lot of people behind the scenes who let the people at home be able to watch it. So thank you to John and Braden up there who make the sound and the video work. Thank you to our parking lot people who now it's getting sunny out so they can stand out there and get a tan and welcome people in. Thank you to our ushers and greeters who hopefully make you feel warm and welcome when you come through the doors because that's an important part of everything. And where would we be without mothers, right? Happy Mother's Day. Think about it. Where would we be without mothers? We, right? <laughs> we would, right? So starting off talking about Mother's Day, you know, we're going to talk about a really special mom to get started today. And that's Mary. We can learn a whole heck of a lot from Mary and the special mom that she was. Um, she was the, the, the mom of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you know. Her life can give us some wonderful examples. And the first one we're going to start off with is Mary was a deep woman of prayer and praise. You know, we look at scriptures like... Um, Luke 138, it says, Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Now just say that. Say that to yourself. I am the Lord's servant, right? Let this thing you have said happen to me. Then the angel went away. That thing was, is she was going to be a virgin and she was going to have baby Jesus. But she might not have known that it was going to happen in a stable and she was going to have to go on a donkey to get there and everybody's, Right? And that her life was on the line because she was a pregnant, unwed person. What a servant that is, and what an example we can learn from her. Right? But then it goes on to say a little bit later in Luke, um, Luke 1, 46 through 50. It says, Mary said, I praise the Lord with my heart. I am very happy because God is my Savior. I am not important, but he has shown his care to me, his lowly servant. From now on until the end of time, people remember how much God has blessed me. Yes, O powerful one, has done great things for me. His name is very holy, and he always gives mercy to those who worship him. This is her claim. She realized what God was doing with her, and she gave him the praise. We can learn deep things from moms in general. Their praise to God and their prayers for their children are unbelievable, and they're unmarked. The other thing we can learn from Mary is the importance of placing God's will before her own, right? Think about this. A young teenager, right, an angel appears to her and she says, you're going to have a baby. She didn't like to, nope, that's not going to happen, not on my timetable, right? She said, I want to be obedient. I want to do what God's got for me to do. So she set her will aside, the things that she had before her, and she put God's will there. We know this could not have been an easy decision for a young un unwed woman. Yet Mary set all of her desires aside for God's will. Mary's willingness to place God's will before her own has allowed her to put other people's needs before her own, which is the definition of love. Her ability to sacrifice 
is something all mothers and disciples can learn from. You know, King and Country has got a new album out, and there's a song on it called Unsung Hero. And it's all about moms. And one of the lines, it says, words fall short, but I am sure that there'll never be anyone like you. When we think of our moms, isn't that the truth? When we think about what our moms have done for us. So quickly, I would just like to pray over our moms. I know Pastor Gabe did. uh, But dear Lord, we just thank you for moms, Lord. We thank you for their willingness and sacrifice that they make for their children and other children in general, Lord. Moms just don't mother their own, Lord. They mother all that come into their presence, Lord. So we thank you for the example that you set in them, Lord. We thank you for the lessons we can learn from, Lord. And where we ask, Lord, that as they grow weary and tired, Lord, your word says that those who are heavy laden, Lord, that they can bring their burdens to you, Lord, and you'll give them rest, Lord. So we ask that you give rest to our moms, Lord, as well. Lord, and they'll be sure to give you all the praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. So happy Mother's Day to all moms out there. So we're going to start this morning. Um, Most of the time what I do is I try to give you a little background where this comes from because I think it's important to sort of understand how God works because it might not discount some things he's doing to you, right? Because sometimes when he speaks to us, he just speaks to us in ways that we might just say, no, that's not God. So this whole message came forth a couple, couple months ago. Um, I was sitting right, standing right there in the second row and I'm um, praising worship in God, just as, you know, I do every Sunday. And he just had me look up at the cross up there and um, look at the cross and more importantly, look at the stones that are there. And it, my mind just stopped spinning and spinning. And I was, had the luxury, and some other people in this here, have had the luxury of being here since the day that was built and saw how much hard work and pain and blood <laughs> and sweat and tears went into making that. And the guys who did it and, and the, these walls and everything that's here. And I just started analyzing this. And I'm looking at each stone. And more importantly, my focus was brought to the grout of the picture here. And I just, in my head, I go, how many pathways are in that grout? How many different routes could there be? Now, I'm a phys ed teacher. I'm not a mathematician. So there's no way I could possibly figure this out. All I know is there's lots. And you know what? It brings us to our life. There are lots of different paths that we can take in life. Right? And each path that we take or each decision we take leads us down down another way. So as we look at the grout and we just try to look at, you know, if I were to go here and make a right, left, or go straight, where would that bring me? And then I get to here and I right, left, where, where would that take me? There's millions of different routes there. So that led me to this, this message that today is going to be called Pathways of Praise. Um, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. But according to a study done by Psychological Today, the average adult makes 35,000 decisions in one day. 35,000 decisions from should I wake up, should I get out of bed, should I brush my teeth, should I not brush my teeth, should I have Cheerios or should I have Golden, golden Grahams? Right? We go through all these decisions we make. Should I wear black socks or should I wear white socks? We sort of discount these, but these are actually what's taking place. 35,000 decisions, which can leave down 35,000 different paths. Right? The funny thing is, is when they did this data collection in this survey, 226.7, don't ask me how the .7 happened, of these decisions are made about food. So in a day, we make 226.7 
Don't go that extra third there to get 200. About food. Now, these decisions may come into, you know, do I want to go to a full-service restaurant or a fast-food restaurant? Do I want chicken or do I want steak? Do I want Coke or do I want Pepsi? Or, as Debbie says, do I want dessert or not have dessert? And Debbie always picks dessert. All right, there's no doubt about it. You cannot go out to dinner with her and not get dessert. All right, but thinking about the pathways in the stone wall and the pathways we take in life brought me to the scripture, one of the scriptures that we're going to be talking about today. And that's Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. It says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gate to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few find it. When we really look at that, and we really think about it, God makes this really easy. This stone wall up here has got thousands, if not millions, of different paths in it. God loves us so much, he gave us two. Right? He gives us two different paths that we can take. This isn't, let's make a deal where we don't know what's behind each wall when we choose. He gives us the answer to life. Right? He tells us what's at the end. This is an open book test. We've got the answers. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide. I would add that it's filled with worldly culture and things that we think we need that lead us towards death. As it says in Matthew 7, 13 and 14 in the message translation, it says the marketplace or the broad path is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though the crowds do, of people do. The way to life is to God is vigorous and requires total attention. If that doesn't say it all, I don't know what else does. Our world is looking for the easy way out. I like how the message says it. We want to fit God into our spare time, and God wants to be part of our lives all the time. The last line of each translation spells it out. The NLT says, But the gateway to life is very narrow, the road is difficult, and very few find it. You know, for me, being a former Marine, this word few has got like a little bit of, a little bit of proud, right? The Marines are the few and the proud, right? Us Christians are the few and the proud. Because only few people are finding it nowadays. But we can do, by the end of this, we can talk about how that can change. All right? In the message, it says the way to life is to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. How many of us have taken our attention off the road while we're driving? Right? Where do we end up? Right? We hear rumble, rumble, rumble. Right? God's got rumble strips too. It's called people around us who give us, who give us their attention and say we're going down the wrong, the wrong way. All right? So it requires vigorous work and total attention. What it's really saying is living a life as, for Christ is going to take hard work and it's going to take focus. You know, my former background of being an athlete and a military man, there are quotes that have always like stuck with me or I've heard and they've been with me, right? The first one comes from the Navy SEALs who are some of the best trained, most hardened military men there are who fight for our freedom and we need to be grateful for them. But it goes like this, right? The easiest day was yesterday. That's the model they live by. Right? Because if they got through yesterday, that one's done, and they all know it's going to get harder as we go. I hate to say, but that's Christian life, too. 
every day is going to be just a little, it's not in a bad way, in a good way. The world is encompassing. It's honestly taken over. We're immersed in it. But yet every day is going to get a little bit tougher, and we're going to come down to the point where the easiest day is going to be yesterday. All right, another quote that, you know, my coaches have shared with me over years is, if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. Everybody's not living the Christian life. They're not. You know, we look at statistics here. In 2007, 75% of Americans identified as Christians. In 2021, 63% of Americans identify as Christians. That's a 12% drop-off in just a short amount of time. We're going to be 20 years from now. Right? But it's up to us as God's disciples, right? Because we all are, right? Want it or not, we are, if he's in our hearts, to make sure that this doesn't fade away, but that we make it what it is and share the truth with people. The the statistics of this world are winning, but we know God will have the victory in the end. So we're going to look at today is obviously a couple scriptures, but one that I was brought back to is Matthew 6.34. So it says, don't worry about tomorrow, right? A lot of us get focused on tomorrow. But what we learned in that last thing is we need to be focused on today, right? We were looking at the gates. We need to be focused on today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day will have enough trouble of its own. Who would agree with that, right? Tomorrow will have its own worries. So let's not get too far forward and lose where we are in the moment, you know? I've said it many, many times. We don't know how much 10 seconds of our life matters to somebody. It might not mean a whole lot to us, but it could change somebody's life forever, right? So we need to live in the moment. Be planning, but, but yet follow God's footsteps down the way he wants us to go. Knowing each day will have its own troubles, we need to be focused on the plan at hand. There's nothing easy about this Christian walk, but the benefits of walking with God are indescribable. Today we're going to read from Mark chapter 2, but before we do read this text, there's some things I want to get through. I want to talk about what happened before we get to the story we're going to talk about. So in Mark 1, right, there's some big, huge things that happen. One, first of all, Jesus was baptized, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Huge, okay? Something that shouldn't be discounted, said the Holy Spirit came on him, right? So God's son, now God's son, it's there, right? It's the, ah, right? Then we need to remember that Jesus was out in the wilderness and he was tempted for 40 days. And he didn't give in to that temptation because God gave him the strength to get through it, right? He didn't give in, right? I get tempted with a chocolate chip cookie, and you know what? It's not going to be there for 40 days, I guarantee it. All right? So just think about that. You know, Jesus came to Capernaum and he frees a man of an evil spirit. So now he's casting out demons. He's changing people's lives, right? He goes and he, he heals Simon's mother-in-law of sickness and fever, right? He continues to heal sick and free people of demons, and then he goes crazy. You know what he does? He reaches out and he touches the leper and he heals him, which in those days, it, that was like, you can't do that. But Jesus showed him you could, right? So we've got a little bit of this idea of what he was. Needless to say, Jesus was a busy guy and he was on high demand, would everybody agree? Right? If we had that opportunity, 
what will we do with it? Um, but as I thought about this and thought about, you know, him healing people and what it would look like and what it would look like today, I was only brought to like one image that I could really think about of how people, if Jesus walked down this aisle, really only one of two things are going to happen, in my opinion. People are just going to fall in awe and praise, or people are just going to try to get to him. There's only two things. Nobody's going to be like in, that in between. It's going to be so powerful, right? So trying to picture an image, because I'm a very visual guy and things like that, of what this would look like and what people who needed physical healing or mental emotional healing or spiritual healing would do to get to them, this is the only picture that I could come up with, right? That's Black Friday, <laughs> right? Where everybody goes to get what they want, and they put everybody else's needs aside so they can get it. It would be chaos, and God's not chaotic, so it's not going to work, right? I think Black Friday sales would show how people would handle this situation. They're there with total disregard for anybody else to get what they want. It's scary, right? It would turn into a mob scene. But let's take a look at this story, right? So today, where I'm going to be teaching from is going to be from Mark 2. We're going to go through uh, verses 1 through 12. It's going to take an awful long time to do it, or a short time, depending on what's going on, or how fast I talk, all right? But um, we're going to read, and then we're going to break down. We're going to read, we're going to break down. Um, just to give you an idea, this is how I read the Bible, okay? I read it, and I've got to make it into a visual picture. So sort of you're going to get this underlying thing of how things work in my head. And hopefully when you read Scripture, it'll come to life for you too. Um, because I know at times I've been caught where I just read, and I read words, and I don't read meaning. All right? When, the way I'm going to do this today is I'm going to read words and give them meaning. Okay, so it's going to say here, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news had spread quickly that he was back home. So, soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head, then they lowered the man on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. So we all have a good idea of what's going on here. Some of us have may have heard this before. Some of us may have not, okay? But my job today is to make it come alive. So we got to be like children here. We got to be childlike. We got to use imagination. We got to actually think about the words. I want you to just like try to make it come to life. Think about it. Hear it. Smell it. Taste it. Make it come to life for you, all right? So Jesus is in this home with people, including teachers of the law, the Pharisees, right? So we got people who want the word. We want people who, we've got people who want to get the word so they can use it against him. So the house is filled with both kinds of people that are there, right? The room is packed out. There's no more room in it, right? Shoulder to shoulder. I just want to get there. I want to hear what, what's going on. The doorways are filled with people, right? People are trying to get in and they can't get through the thing. And then think about it. In these old homes back then, there wasn't glass windows. So there's openings, and now you got heads peeking in and people piling up on the outside of the house to hear what he's got to say. Okay, so really, really important what's going on there. They're all trying to listen to Jesus. But now I want you to think about this. Think about coming to church today. You got in your car, you drove here, 
you parked in the parking lot. Somebody hopefully opened the door for you. You walked in, and you found a comfy seat. Right? And now you're here listening to God's word. Would you listen to it if you had to fight through people and be outside and stick your head in the window? Right? We've got it really easy. we got it really easy. But it really comes down to how important is God's word to you and what are you willing to do to get there. Right? So with that being said as well, you know, I think there's things we need to understand about the church as well. We came in and we sat on these comfy seats. But did you know that there's actual research that says that if that parking lot out there is 75% full and a first-time visitor drives by and they see it that way, they're not going to come through the door because they think that there's no room for them. But yet, look at all the seats that are here, right? These seats get filled not by what a parking lot looks like. These seats get filled by us inviting people. It's not about newspaper ads and social media and stuff like that. It's personal invitation that gets people's lives to change for Christ. And we all have the ability to do that. What would we do if there was lines out the door and people waiting, and you had to take a number for a seat to get in here? Yeah, woo, absolutely, right? Would it be different? What would you do if a stranger had to sit in the seat next to you? Somebody you didn't know. Would you still be coming? Right? These are just questions I ask myself because we really live in Christian comfort. We've got it really, really good. But you know what? Other countries, there's people who are fighting to get underneath tents where there's no AC, there's not big loudspeakers, nothing like that. They're there to hear, to hear God's word. You know, we, we've got Christian comfort here. Would, we, would the choices we make down the path be different if this place was packed out? We don't have to fight through the crowds to hear God's word. But if we had to, would we continue down the path? Now back to the story. This paralyzed man, who we know very little about, has some great friends. We don't know anything about the friends either. But what we do know is their friend had needed a physical healing, and they came together to try to make it happen. Do you have friends like that? Right? Think about it. Do we have friends like that? it's amazing. If not, there are places here at RLC where you can find them. You know, we've got life care groups, which are small groups that meet on Wednesday nights where they go to learn about the Bible and study the Bible, but they grow through life together. And these life care groups have been known to help people move in their homes, bring meals during surgeries, offer prayers and stuff like that. The other vessel we have is Journey to Recovery a group of humble people who admit that they have hurts, hang-ups, and that they need help. And they can go there and have a community where they feel safe, but yet live together in, in their thing to, to build friendships to be able to get through this stuff. So we have great opportunities right here at RLC to get these good friends who will help us. All right? Now, there are a lot of facts that we do know about these four friends, Right? We know that they loved their friend and that they thought something and that they wanted to change for his life. We know that they were, they were willing to carry him to Jesus. We don't know how far they carried him, but we do know that they had faith in Jesus' healing power or else they wouldn't have brought him. They had a desire to get their friend to Jesus. 
So just imagine the friends carrying the paralyzed man, believing Jesus could heal him, and he'd walk again. But when they arrive at the house, they see people all around it. They try to get in, and there's no way in. All the entryways are filled with people. There's no way in. They can't even gain access through a window or a door. In today's time, that's like showing up to a concert, but the show's sold out. There's not a seat for you. The path these men took started to get narrower, right? It was a big path they wanted to get to Jesus. Now there became difficulty in it, right? We talked about this narrow path that we got to follow, right? It gets narrow and it gets difficult. Rather than be disappointed and returning to their homes, they looked for another path, a path that would be creative, but just as the scripture says, it'd be difficult, and only a few would find it. Or as the message says, the way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires attention. These men now formed a plan that changed their path. Imagine this conversation between the four friends. They get there and they're like, it's full, we can't get in. They're like, what are we going to do now? And one dude goes, hey, we're just going to go home. Another one goes, let's wait till the joint closes out and everybody leaves and then we'll find it. And this other guy goes, hey, 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 I got the answer. Right? He goes, we're going to bring him up to the roof. And the guy's just looking at him and goes, you crazy? How are we going to get, what's going to happen when we get to the roof? Right? Now back then, the way the homes were, is they were flat, flat roofed, right? And most homes had a stairway to get up the back so that you could be on the roof. And if it didn't have a stairway, it had a ladder. Now think about this. A man on a, grown man on a stretcher, four guys, and now they're either trying to take him up a stairway or they're trying to take him up a ladder. No easy task, right? Now think about this conversation. So they, they start taking him, right? They're getting ready to take him. And they're like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get up there? Think about the man in the stretcher. Please don't drop me. <laughs> right? There's no easy feat in carrying a stretcher upstairs or up a ladder. Right? This guy can't feel a whole lot because he's paralyzed, but he sure as heck didn't want to get dropped on his head. So there's a lot of different emotions and stuff going on here. But the, men, the man with a plan was given the path, and the friends brought this paralyzed man to the roof. Now, there are a few ideas about how this man got there, and we just talked about them, right? But needless to say, it was no easy feat. Now at the roof, a whole nother conversation starts. What do we do now? We're up here. There's no chimney, so Santa Claus isn't coming down, right? Isn't Jesus right below us? Right? Meanwhile, in the room below, Jesus is down there. It's gathered, packed out, and he's just preaching the word. And they don't have any idea what's going on up top. It's not like there's any reindeer hoofs or anything up there. All right? He's teaching. But back to the men on the roof. Hey, 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 let's start digging. So they get down, and obviously it's not like today where they had shingles and stuff like that. It was mud and palms and sticks and stuff. And little by little, they just start throwing stuff off. Right? But down in the room below, Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, da 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 dirt starts falling in on him. Think about it. It's crazy, right? And he's going along, and all of a sudden, boom, a little hole opens up, and a little bit of the sun pierces through. And the owners of the home go, hey, who's up there? What's going on? You're ruining my roof. 
And Jesus doesn't say a word. And these men just start digging and digging. And let's think about it. They're digging a hole that's got to get a grown man through it. Right? So we're not talking a hole. We're talking a four by eight sheet of plywood's going to be out of the way. And this man's going to get dropped down through it. So this is a big hole. So the things that are taking place right now is Jesus just standing there. The owners of the home are like, you're ruining my house. The men upstairs are like, we don't know if we're going to get in trouble for this or not. They only had one thing on their mind. To get their friend to Jesus. And they were willing to do whatever it took to do it. Now they didn't know what the repercussions were going to be or what the punishments were going to be for ruining somebody's house. So you know what? They're true examples of John 15, 13, which says there's no greater love than this to lay down your life for your friends. Because they didn't know what was going to happen. But they were willing to, willing to live it out. These men were willing to risk it all to get their friend the healing that he needed. They didn't know the consequences of ripping the roof off. They saw a friend's need, and they, they meant it. How many friends do you have that need Jesus? Are you willing to rip the roof off a home to get them there? In today's day, it's just a simple invite to invite them to church oftentimes. And sometimes I don't even see myself doing that. If we look at everyone we come in contact with and realize that their eternity is going to end in two places, heaven or hell, hopefully it will help us look at people differently. How much more willing would we be to invite people to church or share God's truth with them if we looked at everybody that way? We look at Mark 2, verses 5 through 8. It said, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. We got him. We got him. We caught him. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Let's go back to thinking about the situation. The paralyzed man is lowered to the floor, and now he's in a room filled with people, and he's center stage. These friends brought the paralyzed man to Jesus for healing, but let's look at the first thing that Jesus did. Jesus didn't heal him first. He forgave him of his sins, and he gave him eternity in heaven. Sometimes what we think is best, bringing the man for healing, is nothing compared to what Jesus has planned. If Jesus just offered this man physical healing, it only lasts for the rest of his days on earth. But by giving him forgiveness of sins, he gives him eternity in heaven. What a difference. What a difference. Sometimes we are looking for a temporary solution or simple fixes here on earth when God is thinking about the long-term eternity of ourselves. What we must understand is culturally back in Jesus' day, it was believed that physical ailments were caused by sin. And if this man was not forgiven of his sins, there would not be a way for him to receive the physical healing. So I want us to remember the title of this passage, Pathways to Praise. Jesus had already set the precedent that he was able to heal people. We saw that in Mark chapter 1, the quick recap that I gave you, where he was healing Simon's mother-in-law, and he was 
taken demons away from people, and he was healing the sick. But what Jesus does here is narrow the path, which makes things even more difficult. By giving this man forgiveness of sins, this strikes a nerve with the religious, the religious teachers. It builds tension, and the tension begins. Looking for evidence against Jesus being the Son of God, the leaders claim blasphemy. Against Jesus, which is punishable again by death. Once again, we see how much Jesus is willing to put his life on the line for us. Jesus knew the condition of the leader's heart and had a plan to put actions behind his words. And when we look at Mark 2 through 9, it says, It is easier to say to a paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up and pick up your mat and walk away. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this before. Can you imagine? What Jesus is essentially saying here is, hey, hey, watch this. I like it. I, I, that's, just, that's, that's the type of person I am. Watch this. You know what I'm saying? Watch this. Right? I will prove to you what will happen. We know that there is no visual evidence of forgiveness of sins other than a weight being lifted off that person's shoulders. And you can tell that in a person's body language. Right? Somebody who's just carrying around burdens is just tired and they're weak and it's heavy. But when you give that over to God, it's like new life. And that burden is lifted and that person's got joy again and they go out. So even though we, there's not physical evidence, there is physical evidence. Right? But with the physical healing is a different story, especially being paralyzed. This man couldn't move his arms, couldn't move his legs. Think of the people in this room again. The teachers of the law were hoping that this man would not get up and walk so they could prove that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. The people who gathered to hear Jesus speak must have been creeping in because they wanted to see the miracle happen. I'm not going to miss this. Right? We've all had those, I'm not going to miss this moments. This was one of them for those people. Right? And it was going to be life-changing. Because it was going to be life-changing for the paralyzed man, but it was going to be life-changing for everybody else who was there. Because this was going to put true belief and substance behind who Jesus was claiming to be. And the man who was paralyzed, let's just think about him. He's laying there on a stretcher. Everybody's looking at him. Think about the thoughts that were running through his head. I hope this works. I hope this isn't going to hurt. Right? Then it happens. Jesus commands the man to stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the rest of the scripture says that the man jumped up, grabbed the mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. Unheard of. We don't know how long he was paralyzed, but I'm assuming it was a long time, right? And we know what a physical body does, right? The man didn't suffer mu muscle atrophy. The man didn't need physical therapy, right? The scripture says he jumped to his feet and he walked out. It reminds me of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. 
when Charlie's grandpa's laying in the bed and Charlie walks in with a golden ticket. He says, Grandpa, Grandpa, I want it. And the guy's been bedridden forever and he gets up and he does the jig and then he's able to go to the factory with him, right? Mark's, Mark knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? That's what it was like. This man just went from being lame to having it all. Having the desire of his heart. And God can do that for us as well. It's amazing. And everybody in the room was astonished. And for the four great friends who carried this man to Jesus, it says nothing about them. But let's imagine again, right? The man gets up. The Pharisees are angry now because Jesus did what he said he was going to do. All the onlookers are in amazement and astonished, right? And then we've got these four friends who are still up on the roof. Their friend gets up and he starts to pretty much dance away, right? Think about the joy that's going through their hearts, right? It, it, it's amazing. I don't know if you've ever been able to experience the, the joy, the tears of praise for being obedient to God, okay? It, it's an unbelievable feeling when you put his plan to work and then you see it happen. It's a humbling experience. You know, just one experience from my life um, many, many years ago, Pastor Jeff being the visionary of this church and, you know, b us being part of the youth group, he had a vision that after the homecoming football game years and years ago, rather than have all the students go uptown and get in trouble on the streets, he wanted to open the church up for them to come and just have a good night of hanging out, having pizza and chicken wings and stuff like that. So we took months to prepare for this event. And we got, you know, contacted the schools and got kickback from them. We can't advertise this in school because if we do, and the, the principal is really great about it. He's like, if I advertise this about this, then I've got to advertise this. And I don't want this in here, so we can't let you in here. So we found a way and, you know, we gave kids tickets and kids handed out tickets. And we were prepared to have over 100 kids in here and feed them but yet not know how many kids were going to show up because they're kids, right? So we got the whole event together, and, um, you know, football game got over, and the door opens, and kids just start to trickle in. Little by little, they trickle through the doors, and by the end of the night, there's over 110 kids in there. It was unbelievable, right? And some of the people who were out here were part of that night, and they remember it. But not, the fact wasn't that we got 110 kids through the door. The fact was that 110 kids that night heard the true message and truth of the gospel, and they had the opportunity to choose what path they wanted to walk down. That is the amazing part. So as these kids are here, I'm telling you, when I say tears of praise, tears of praise, I'm in the back and I'm crying because I was going to be happy if five kids showed up. But when over 100 showed up, and I realized how our obedience as leaders and how our obedience of following the vision that that pastor had had the opportunity to impact these kids this isn't just 110 kids because out of these 110 kids then it's going to has the opportunity to blossom again and this was the talk of the school for a while we had school teachers here we had principals come in it was awesome but that's what god can do and that's the only thing that like not the only thing, but that's like a relatable thing of where these men showed obedience to what God told them to do. 
They just had to be taken back by actually understanding that they did God's plan and it worked. And it just brought to tears of praise is the way I explain it. It's an unbelievable feeling that I hope everybody has the opportunity to feel someday. But I'm sure it was also filled with high fives and cheers and all those other things. But what wonderful faith-building experience this was for the men who were involved and everybody in the room. Right? This wasn't going to be a secret that they just kept to themselves. This was going to be the first social media that ever happened. Right? It's going to go get out there and it's going to spread quickly. And the following is only going to get bigger. All right? But my question is, if Jesus was able to heal people 2,000 years ago, he could still surely do it today. So what healing are you believing for? Personally? And what healing are you believing for for other people? You know, we forgot to mention, well, we didn't. It sort of got put away. But the man who's in the house today. All right, Pastor Jeff is back. All right, and it's a great privilege to be able to speak here while he's here, okay? But he's evidence of a miracle. All right? Six, eight weeks ago, I don't know if really a lot of you guys understood how much pain he was when he was up in here. All right? We would have you guys greet, and Pastor Gabe and I would carry him up the steps pretty much to make sure he got up here. This man has sacrificed been in so much pain to be obedient to what God has so that we as a congregation can get what we deserve. But what I was blessed with this morning, all right, is I was up on the soundboard talking to John before service. And I haven't seen Pastor Jeff in, in since the surgery. I, I've sort of kept my distance and stuff. We've talked on the phone and stuff. But I hadn't seen him physically. But this morning, while we were up there, he came through the door over here, and he, with a pep in his step, and I, I'm being honest, he almost like a rabbit leaped up the steps up there and was able to, like, quickly move up them, where six weeks ago, he couldn't even almost come up these. If God can do that in him, he can do it in all of us. So, Pastor, we thank you for the sacrifice that you've made for all of us, all right? And we won't ever know how much pain you were in doing it, but we are, we are truly grateful. And that brings us to, this, you know, this year's scripture that pastor shared with us, which is Micah 6.8. And it reads like this, and it's right here on the banners too. The Lord has told you, human, what is good. He has told you what he wants from you, to do what is right to other people, love being kind to others, and live humbly obeying God. We've heard this. We've studied this for weeks and weeks. And I consider this a great example of the narrow gate. When we think about the broad path, a lot of people are taking it. It's a polar opposite. We see more and more people doing what is right for themselves and not worrying about others. Kindness is a word, and more importantly, an action, but it's slipping away from this culture. And to live humbly is very difficult, as most of the people are living a selfie life and they're more consumed with themselves and their followers and their likes than anyone else. But many years ago, Frank Diskin stood up here and he shared something with us. And he talked about how you can't stand in the middle of a door. And think about it. We can't stand in the middle of the door. 
I stand in the doorway, I've got to have one foot in one room and I've got to have one foot in the other. And there's lots of lessons we can learn from this. This isn't what God wants. This is lukewarm. We can't stand in the world and we can't stand in God's world. All right, we've got to choose a side. There's no way to shut the door if we meddle in both sides. And it's only going to be lead us down the wrong path and to hypocritical lives. When we go to shut the door, it's going to hurt if we're standing in the middle of it. Right? Just like if we take it down the wrong path, it's going to hurt as well. And the other lesson we can stand from, learn from not being in the middle of the door is we must pick what path we want to follow and shut the other door and have confidence that God will be with us in the good times, in the bad times, and that will help us through it. So when we think about it, God doesn't want us to be lukewarm. He'd rather us choose one side or the other. So what can we take away from today? Right? We all need to surround ourselves with good Christian friends. Friends who are willing to take us to rooftop experiences. If you don't have them, we gave you places to find them. We often think of temporary solutions when God is thinking of eternal solutions. And when the path is narrow and things get tough, we always need to find a way to trust and praise God in the middle of the storm. So in closing, let us be reminded that all paths have the opportunity to lead to the cross. No matter how broad or how narrow the path we are on, no matter how good or how bad we are, we are only one turn away from eternity. And it's never too late to come to Jesus. Let us pray. For those who are at home and those here today, if you've never had the opportunity to get on the narrow path and follow, follow Jesus, uh, we're going to give you that opportunity um, today. So uh, we're going to pray this prayer together. If you just repeat after me. Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. And I thank you for your son Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. I recognize my need for forgiveness and surrendered my life to you today. I accept Jesus into my heart as Lord and Savior. Please show me your path and help me become the person you want me to be. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're here today and you prayed that prayer for the first time and you recommit to walk that narrow path, which isn't going to be an easy one, right? We just ask that you, you know, let an usher or, or somebody know about that. If you're at home and you prayed that prayer, uh, we just ask that if you could let us know. Uh, go to the website, uh, go to the contact page and let us know so that we can be praying for you. And if you want us to contact us, please leave the information there and we can do that. Again, if you got any prayer requests, please fill out the prayer request form and turn it into the uh, Life Source Center. And listen, ladies and everybody else who's here, when you exit today, you've already received your Mother's Day gift from the church. However, there is a table with a pink tablecloth on it out there where there are gifts for mothers. If you want to take a couple gifts and give them to mothers you know and bless them, please feel free to do that.
for mothers as well. Somebody in this congregation has thought highly of you and went out and purchased carnations for each mother who's here. So please be sure to pick your carnation up as you walk out. Okay? Can we stand and pray? Dear Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for everyone who's here, Lord, and the word that's gone forth. Lord, we thank you for how it's going to impact our lives, Lord, and we thank you for the refreshers that will give us each and every day. Lord, we thank you for the people we're going to come in contact with, Lord, and understand, Lord, that there's only two paths that they can be taking, Lord. We ask that we look at them through a lens of love, Lord, as you would, Lord, and that we give them our time our t and, and just allow us to share an invitation or your truth with them. Lord, as we hear, leave here, Lord, we ask that you quicken us and strengthen us, Lord, and give us the courage to do your work. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise and the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful Mother's Day and have a great week. Thank you.